This is an irregularly regular podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It is the air that is breathed and the water that nourishes and provides, but ownership of land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hello, you've reached Michael, or how I like to go on the internet, M. I've got with me my regular offsider for his second appearance amongst eight episodes. So, hi, John. Hi, Michael. There you go. I downloaded a cheer for you. Can I just say the production values have skyrocketed in the in the seven episodes since I was last on. That's um, pretty spectacular. Yeah, all of this stuff's mine. I, I remember our last episode, I think I was borrowing bits and bobs from mates. I've kind of stuck with it. So I thought, well, I might make the investment. Uh, so here we are. But yeah, I, I get um, the canned applause and uh, is there canned laughter here? No, it's a canned sting. That's the canned Skype. I did that bit in the previous episode. That might just get old really quickly. <laughs> I've always wanted that little drum thing just in life. When you make that joke and it's not quite as funny, if you could just have a musician with you to do the boom boom sort of thing, it would it uh, give it an extra oomph. It would enhance so so many interactions. I kind of think that it's it assists when you attempt to do a dad joke. I mean, you're a new dad, John. Would you benefit from a drum sting with your? Because I reckon you're going through a dad joke apprenticeship right now, wouldn't you? Well, I think many of us are born with the skills not not to be a parent. Uh, but to make those jokes, many of us have been practicing for many years. The, I mean, I, I guess the dad joke is you've got a kid and they have to laugh. Like at this stage, like my little guy's not quite a year old, so he he finds certain things funny. Uh, and obviously I, I like to make puns and my wife will roll her eyes, but he particularly likes the funniest thing at the moment is when I'm sitting on the floor playing with him, he'll come up to me, he'll lift up my T-shirt and laugh at my belly. That's that's the funniest joke. <laughs> so you could just like just like uh, pull your shit over your head like you scored a goal for for Liverpool FC, and it's like <laughs> I can see that this this would very quickly be abused in the real world. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you've really put uh, a lot of effort into the recording. This is great. Okay, thank you. The other thing I want to spruik as well, John, is that I'm getting very close to a new name for this thing. I noticed. I yeah. saw online, yeah. Yeah, so the votes are up. At the moment, um, what seems to be polling is thorn in my side. That's what I voted for. Yeah. It's, I noticed that this wasn't, um, I'm not sure if you meant it this way, uh, but this isn't a secret ballot. I worked out very quickly when I voted for thorn, uh, thorn in my side that everyone could see that I voted for thorn in side yeah i didn't know how transparent to be but do you reckon it should have been like full-on australian federal electorate conditions and i i wonder yeah uh you know i was i was i'm glad there's no mail-in ballots let's put it that way because <laughs> we, we know that that's a corrupt system well if, if i'm not going to get the one that i want i'm just wondering whether i should rush it up a bit <laughs> in the, the few days before the ballot and then we'll see what really gets up so i guess you'd have to go create a whole lot of fake accounts Yep. to be able to get the, the vote up. But, yeah, look, thought in my side, I think uh, of the list that was there, 
I did think about coming up with a different one, but I'd, I'll be honest, I ran ran out a bit of en- a, a bit of energy. I thought in my side sounds good. Right. What was the other one you're thinking of inventing? Uh, I, I didn't know. I, I tried to think about. Look, I'll be honest. I thought about it for about three minutes, and I couldn't come up with anything. Okay. That, at the moment, with a just nearly one year old child, and and with my job, three minutes of trying to come up with something. If something doesn't come to me in three minutes, then I'm just going to let it go. Okay. Um, and hope maybe that you know, I'll be sitting on the toilet on the weekend or something. I'll go, ha ha. That's that's pretty much what I'm left to at the moment. <laughs> well, you've got the shirt over your head, and it's like, ah. And then the kid laughs and it's like, Eureka, and ha-ha. This is going to get abused. (laughs) So we were having a bit of a brainstorm to figure out uh, what we might talk about tonight. What seemed to be winning was sport within pandemic conditions. Once we had the call that we were going to work from home, and I knew like I'd be working from home, so I was okay with that. I was looking forward to it. In the back of my mind, there was, a, oh, this will be great because I like a lot of American sports. I like basketball. Mm. So I was like, wow, I can – and basketball is on earlier in the morning, like, you know, 9, 10, 10 a.m. And I was like, great, this will be good. I'll be able to watch basketball in the morning and I'll start work at about 11 and I'll work late. And it was fantastic. And, of course, silly me didn't think about, well, actually, if I'm being sent home because of the pandemic – there's a good chance that all the athletes will be sent home, and that's exactly what happened. So I, I forget about the butterfly effect. Just that they live in the same world that we do. <laughs> the same yeah, things that apply to us sometimes apply to them. Like it's not. Uh, well, you see them on the computer, you see them in the TV. Therefore, they must live inside those things. A little bit, a little bit. I, at one stage, I was like, "This would be great. I can stay home. I can watch sport. I, you know, work in the afternoon. This would be wonderful." And it hasn't worked out like that. See, I got desperate enough to actually, um, there's actually a, a, a website or websites that you can find that m- may not be entirely um, up to code. You can go on there and then you can find previous football matches. Oh, so yeah. it's like I'm downloading historic moments like Liverpool winning titles because of a magic Steven Gerrard goal or something like that. That's how I got by. There's rhythms to our lives and certainly rhythms to my life where you know sport plays a part like the rugby league as you know like uh, every grand final day um you know I'd, i go on a pub crawl with dave and we we go and watch the grand final at a different pub in the inner west like those rhythms to your life that just happen you know grand finals um you know the sporting codes you follow like they're important markers so yeah all that you know it didn't go away it just just got paused for a little bit and now it's back, although very different. I know it, it's coming back, and it's coming back in dribs and drabs. I noticed watching NBA by chance when I was at the pub once, and they were showing the matches again. I think they were trying to wrap up that season that kind of got put on pause. It is something that you can set your watch to. I do get that idea of it just being like a, a ritualistic thing. What does that mean? I mean, is that something that, that people count on? This is obviously time that, that can't be bought, can it? Like I really, I, I was a bit shocked to find how much I missed it, mm. how much I missed sport. And I know a lot of people didn't give a shit. <laughs> they shouldn't, you know, but I, I did find myself just missing being able to watch it, just being able to relax and in, enjoy it. And, of course, a lot of people making a lot of money missed it as well, uh, yeah. which I think is... You know, one of the reasons why we've seen it come back uh, so quickly uh, from people not going to the to the crowds. I mean, it reminds me of I remember back in um, it was WCW and WWF, 
And then there was a third one that tried to to start up, I think, like TNA or something like that. Yeah. And they didn't really – they didn't play in stadiums. They played in a, a TV studio. Yeah. It was had, like a boutique setting, wasn't it? That's it. They had only had a few chairs there and a very few people, and, and but, you know, the wrestlers would wrestle there. Yeah. That's what that's what this pandemic is like for those athletes. You, you're, you're, you're playing sport on TV. You're not playing sport in the stadium. I mean, the NBA stuff has been – Interesting because they went down to to Orlando to Disney and they had a couple of courts down there and basically set up a bubble where the players are basically there and they can't leave and, um, you know, they're they're sort of getting tested regularly. Mm. And that's been really interesting because the home game advantage and all the travel that they used to have to do is all gone. I remember where that's the shit hit the fan to me with American sport can corroborate it with me, John, because I think you're more on top of American sport than me. I remember that there was that umming and ahhing period about just how much of an impact COVID was going to be. And I would say that was about uh, early March, but then there was a report about um, an NBA star getting tested positive for COVID. And then at that point, it felt like it was a holy shit moment for American sport. It's like, oh, do we need to start sanctioning stuff now? What's going on? I think certainly in American sport, the players associations have a lot more power. And look, I don't know, maybe they do in, in other sports as well, but certainly in the NBA, they're pretty powerful there. So you're right, there was a game, I think it was... Um, Made have been the Utah Jazz and the Thunder were going to play, and then Ruby Rudy Gobert, the the French center, tested positive for coronavirus, and he had previously been sort of mocking it, and so would go into interviews and touch all the microphones, and so he was being a bit fun, like funny about it, and it actually caused supposedly a rift with the players, but then some of the other players tested positive as well. Mm. And they just cancelled the game and that's the league just said, right, we're suspending the season yeah. until they worked it out. Um, but look, we, we just don't know what the fuck this COVID does. Like as, as it's such a new virus, you know, we there's all those stories out there about, you know, people reporting, um, you know, symptoms, lingering symptoms, you know, months after they've, they've recovered. Mm. Um, so we just don't know. And obviously the US has just been such a dumpster fire when it comes to COVID. For me, it's dependent upon where the leadership has come from. My lay view is it seems to have come through sports in America, if anything. Interesting things that's been happening during COVID is seeing, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement in the US, seeing the way the NBA has embraced that. And a lot of it has been about the players. Mm. So the players have talked to the league and owners and said, this, it isn't enough for us to do things. You need to do things as well. Well, they, they've got options of actually having political titles on their backs instead of their names. And I had Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, brought into that protest by media type thing as well because of her face masks yeah, yeah. And, and having that very brief statement across the mouth. And, and the, on the court, on the court, Black Lives Matter is, is, is actually printed on the, the court that they're playing on now mm. for, the, for the final games and the playoffs. They obviously took, all took, most of the, the players and coaches took, uh, have taken a knee during the anthem, obviously referencing Colin Kaepernick. You know, we're seeing that across so many different sports at the moment. But I know the NBA players have said, like, we, we're going to do these things, but this isn't enough. Like, we're, we, we need change. And they've said to the owners, you guys need to do more stuff too. So a lot of the owners have been you know, encouraged to come up with their, their own ways to contribute to this. So a lot of the um, owners, their their stadiums, um, which they might own, they're turning them into polling booths 
for the election so that you know because one of the problems in the US is you know if there's some communities where there just isn't isn't enough places to go vote so if you yeah. want to go vote you have to go and line up for hours and hours and hours yeah. Yeah. Um, and even then it's like some of the voting outlets some of the votes sometimes just get lost because yeah. some of the gears in the machine get lost, basically. The more that you talk there, John, the more I am getting the sense that there really has been some kind of political leadership from MBA in regards to a greater vacuum in terms of a response to, to COVID and, and also the different forms of social political crises that have happened within the pandemic period as well. And there's a, there's a history that needs to be acknowledged too with uh, Russell and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, players in the past who have spoken out on civil rights and, mm. you know, been involved in their own forms of protest and stuff there. Mm. Um, obviously, it wasn't that many years ago where there was um, Donald Sterling was the um, owner of the LA Clippers and was caught, you know, on video saying, I think, racist things. And the league basically kicked him out and told him he had to sell the team. And you know, teams protested and wouldn't play against the Clippers. There's always there's 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 been a history of that there. But um. so amongst like all the American sports going back in during the, the the civil rights times, in terms of racial representation or ethnic representation, out of all the sports, who do you reckon was pioneering it the most? Because you hear uh, very lyrically the idea of Jackie Robinson being the first black player to play in baseball. Oh, and that's well, that's particularly poignant yeah. given that that role was played by Chadwick Boseman and yeah. that sort of thing. So that's definitely had a re renewed recognition. It's, it's interesting that you say that because part of the issue is uh, the African-American players in the sport right, mm. to be able to be progressive. So obviously the Jackie Robinson story is really important because there is a lot of story about, you know, the Negro Leagues of baseball before that and that idea of breaking through. But look, what I wanted to get to, because it's, it's an interesting thing when you talk about this, is do you know about Jack Johnson? Uh, the boxer? The boxer, right? The first black heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. Okay. And this is this would this be around Great Depression times? No, nineteen oh eight. Oh, before then, nineteen. Because I can remember like I remember black and white pictures of him. Yeah, yeah, right. So this guy is so talented, <laughs> just an amazing boxer. But he won't. No one will give him an opportunity at the heavyweight championship. <laughs> and so he just follows the champion around, you know, around <laughs> the world, saying, "Fight me, fight me." Interestingly, he, the champion at the time, I can't remember his name, I, I, I should have done some more research before this because I love sure. this story, agrees to fight him in Sydney oh, yeah. on Boxing Day, which is not where Boxing Day gets its name, just, you know, good marketing, uh, in 1908 in Sydney. Okay. So, Where'd they hold that? Was that the SCG? It was actually down, um, I've, I've went to where it was. Uh, the, it's a park now. Um it was in Sydney, but it was it was down towards you know. Yeah, there was cross. a pavilion that yeah, was yeah. once the big yeah, and that they had to knock it down and turn it into something else. Yeah, yeah, something around there. Anyway, so he he destroys him and wins the championship. Okay, and this causes like major issues in the boxing community because there was this black champion and he was brilliant. He couldn't be beat, um, and so in a way he becomes a hero to African-Americans and, and, and people all over the world because, you know, he, he defeated it. But, you know, he didn't he didn't set out to be a civil rights leader and he certainly wasn't in many ways, right? He just was a boxer. Yeah. He just wanted to box. He didn't want to be a leader. Mm. But because he was black, it couldn't help but mean something. 
So here's where we get the saying, the great white hope, uh, because what the American public wanted was a white man to beat him. Uh, So eventually um, they got the former champion to come out of of retirement, Jeffries, to to beat him, saying Jeffries will do it because Jeffries had been the championship for a while, refused to fight. Jack Johnson retired. Someone else got the championship. Jack Johnson beat him, so Jeffries comes back. And Johnson beats him, and it causes race riots all over the US when he beats him. Um, and was there allocations of it being fixed? or No, Jack Johnson is just brilliant. Like you can, The footage is out there. You can watch it. Okay. He, he was... I might, I might try and put a link on there. Yeah, on the episode. He, he, like, I, I got into this a little bit when I, I found out about this because... Um, he, you just watch his fights. He's just so good. Like, and there, there's sort of myths and stories about him, like growing up in the South, you know, where, you know, white people get black people to fight each other, that he learned very quickly the best thing to do is not get hit. So okay. he was very good at not getting hit. Um, but he was also gigantic and huge and very talented. And, um, and he was great. And he was a champion for a long time. And basically they just couldn't get anyone to beat him. Mm. And eventually it, it took like this gigantic six-foot-six Cowboy ended up beating him like when he's in his older years. But the thing about Jack Johnson, right? So he, this should be an amazing moment. Um, and it was, but he, he wasn't a, a civil rights leader. He wouldn't fight other black boxers because he wouldn't make good money from it. Ah, no one okay. wants to watch in that time two uh, black boxers fight each other. So he would only fight white guys. Yeah. So they yeah. would actually, the other champion, the other top um, black boxers would complain that he was doing the exact same thing to them that had happened to him, like drawing what they called the colour line, like not fighting um, other other African-Americans. So, but, you know, they the, the establishment wanted to get rid of him. They ended up getting him um, on uh, a charge of prostitution because he would sleep with white women and... You know, do all the things that, you know, a man with money wanted to do. Spend money, get drunk, you know, gamble, you know, travel with lots of women, all this sort of stuff. And but while it's going to get exposed if you're a black dude, exactly. whereas if it's a white dude, it's going to be he, he all just, kept like, underground. I always find it interesting because there, there's some sporting stars that embrace that, right? They know that they're out there, they're role models, and they can make a change in the world. Mm. For me, and Jack Johnson said, sometimes said and did the right things, but also... Like, he just wanted to live. He just was – he was a, an amazing boxer and he wanted to just live a good life, you know. There wasn't – but because he was black, that became political, extremely political. So um, it just when you, you talked about, okay, you know, Jackie Robinson and all these, like, it must be um, such a daunting moment when you're an African-American person and you're, you're thrust into this position of leadership. So I wonder – and it amazes me when I see some of these sporting people – and I think, like, you're there because you're good at playing this sport, right? That mm. doesn't give you political training. That doesn't give you training in, in, in leadership in many ways. And the community looks to you to to speak because you have a platform, because you're a great athlete. Um, I, I look at them and just go, wow, that's, you know, certainly with basketball, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by watching um, those players in the NBA and watching uh, what they're doing and how they, they're just so united um, in, 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 you know, Making the, making the point about, you know, the, the racism in American society and obviously Australian society and Western world in general and across the world is just such a, a terrible thing. It's just causing so many issues, police violence being one of them. And we can see how quickly society has moved, that Colin Kaepernick, you know, and his kneeling out of um, American football. You know? See, that, that's pre-pandemic. And I would say that behaviour like that, if that happened during the pandemic, I, I think that would have been more... more-
or sanctioned by authorities rather than castigated, basically. Yeah, see, I don't know if it's... I'd like to think about it a bit more about how much the pandemic has affected this or whether this has happened in spite of the pandemic. Mm. Because I think what we've seen in the US is this has been an ongoing issue. You know, police brutality against African-American people and the unfair treatment of African-American people in the American criminal justice system and how that affects that, that whole culture and that whole ethnicity. Mm. Um, that's been going on for a long time, right? I mean, there was there was Rodney King and, and the LA riots, you know. Um, this has been going on. It, it just keeps coming to a head. And obviously George Floyd and, and that has, has brought it up again. And, of course, you know, by doing that it exposes everything that's happening there. And I, it is a moment where maybe when we do talk about the pandemic – Certainly the NBA players had a lot of agency and power because the league needed them to play. But and you know, and they 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 had one strike where they um set out one game um after um uh that man was shot in the back. Um I can't remember his name, that's terrible. And and so you might be able to argue that the pandemic has helped created that because there's, you know, much more power on the athlete side. But I, I think this would have happened in spite of the pandemic anyway. It's funny, right, because I feel like at the moment we're in the eye of the storm of this this pandemic. When I, I think people who are predicting that it's going to lead to this and it's going to lead to that are just full of shit. Like I really have lost my faith in social sciences and politics and economic predictions. Well, I know it's it, it won't stop in the sense that once the pandemic stops all the stuff that's associated with it is going to stop. And by that, I mean economic turmoil. I think there will be repercussions after that that will need to be resolved despite silence in some political sections about what to do after the, the pandemic. I'm interested out of this, what political movements look like. Did the pandemic encourage this or would it have happened without the pandemic? But there seems to have been in this year a genuine reformatting about how political movements work and how they're best expressed. And also seeing unlikely institutions rising up to provide that political leadership within the, the liberal standpoint. Like we have talked a lot about how the NBA of all things assuming this mantle of, of what is uh, an appropriate duty of care. Trump won't say anything about uh, what uh, what a good response is to pandemic circumstances, but the NBA does, and they're prepared to actually strike matches in order to find out what some um, suitable arrangements for players and spectators alike. And that's in bits and bobs that's bled through other institutions in the US as well. So... For me, it, there is a wonder there about what the, the future does hold. We've talked a lot about mainstream celebrity stuff. To me, it, that crossing of into different areas, into different political fields, that's of interest to me. There, there's like intersectional value to it. I wonder where uh, where you, you would anchor it, though, into to matters of class, though, because in the US, it, it definitely has exp it's exposed a lot of... Um, failures and limitations towards the, the, the rulers in the US in terms of what they were supposed to provide and the duties that they were to perform, and they didn't necessarily do that. I, I think it's been really interesting that when you look at the US that the Black Lives Matter movement, we're seeing traditional protest. We're seeing, you know, protest on the streets. We're seeing, you know, uh, occupying um, blocks 
we're, we're seeing the same sort of protests that you would have seen in 2000. And, you know, there's always that argument that 9-11 changes things and that people become less interested in some of the social issues. Like I remember, I can't remember the year, but it was before 9-11, I'm sure, where um, all those people walked across the Harper Bridge for reconciliation. Mm. You know, that, that seemed, after 9-11, that seemed like a long time ago. Like it just, things twitched and changed so much. Uh, but, I, yeah, Black Lives Matter, the protests are, are traditional protest. We did do that thing where we kind of talked about sports and then we were able to link it into politics rather than going down a rabbit hole to find out things like triple doubles and <laughs> whose, whose shirt numbers were worn and um, which ones got retired and all that sort of stuff. That's true. One of the, yeah, I, I was wondering <laughs> how much we would have to talk about we didn't have to worry i didn't have to worry one of the things that i would like to to talk in the future about is about that politics of sport that you were talking about earlier and i really wanted to probably talk about you know rugby league and you know the working class history of it yeah. but i always thought when we were at uni you know when we were rebel rousers and you know wanted to you know protest and change the world which we might still want to do but i remember i always thought as as the left, you know, as an activist left, we missed a window when South got kicked out of the competition. That, for me, was corporate stepping all over working-class tradition, stepping over working-class life, stepping over sport as that thing that isn't corporate, that thing that is, you know, an important part of your life. Yeah. I always thought the left missed it, that that should have been one of the most political and obvious um, things about capitalism, really really using sport for its own ends and 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 losing the spirit of it what made it important i know back in our student days we were always vehement critics about how there was that immediate disconnect between student activism and regular working class life working class values working class politics so that was one particular moment in time i think where yeah uh the, the student activism certainly dropped the ball yeah. when it came to the Rabbitohs uh, being booted. Um, yeah. See, I did two punts. You did. Yeah. Well, I, I thought earlier when you when you said down the rabbit hole, I was like, oh, that's right, I want to talk about the Rabbitohs. Yeah. Oh, that one. I missed that one. Oh, well. We'll have a chat about that later on because we talked a lot about American stuff. I think there's a lot of overlap between what's happened in America versus uh, sports in Australia and how that's been politicised during the pandemic and prior historic instances thereof and how they do remain relevant to today. But otherwise, thanks, John. Hopefully next time we meet, this podcast will have a name and there will be a, a better form of consistency. But look, I've, I've got all the gear now. Mate, yeah, it, it, it's really it's turned into quite a, a serious performance now. Awesome, man. All right, we'll catch you later, everyone, and see you next week.